Hey, you guys, welcome back to Spiritually Intimate Conversations podcast. I am your host, Blair Dreesen, and today we have a repeat guest on the show, somebody who's been on the show a couple times now, and I'm pretty sure she's going to be on a couple more. <laughs> Actually, I already know you're going to be on a couple more because yeah. we already have something we're having you come back on again for later on. Um, but this guest is somebody who is not only, I think a fan favorite, I know that people love you and they love hearing from you, but you're definitely a favorite of mine. She's a past client of mine. She's a heel meth at alumni. She is one of the sweetest souls ever. And she embodies being a projector like none other. The lovely Patsy. Hello. 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 <laughs> I am so excited that you said yes to hopping on and talking about today's topic with me. Uh, me too. And it is definitely one, as you know, it's close to my heart. Yes. So Patsy, I'm sure you already know that right now we're currently doing a fun series on the show. It's all around women's health, healing and connecting deeper with your body. And you guys, this is going to look like a lot of different things and a lot of different topics in terms of like healing and health and our body. And this topic specifically has already kind of been bubbling up for me for a while now and exploring this. And it's definitely something that I've worked with many of my clients with, because I actually have a lot of my clients um, that are living a sober living lifestyle, or they've been experimenting living sober, or um, they're kind of exploring just in general their um, their habits or their addictive tendencies with other things besides quote unquote alcohol. Um, but Patsy is actually, you've been sober now for how, where are we at now? Three and, three and, and a half years. years. Three and a half years. And I want you to kind of just share a little bit about sobriety and what that means to you. I know you've talked about sobriety before, and I know you talk a lot mm -hmm. about it on your, on your, um, on your page, but I kind of want you to kind of like maybe expand a little bit on just like sober living more so like what people think about sober. Cause they think sobriety of like, oh, they're sober from drugs or alcohol for X amount of days and blah, blah, blah. Like, I want you to expand a little bit more on that. Yeah. And you know, everybody's sober lifestyle is going to look different because we're all different individuals with different quirks and different trauma responses and all of that. Right. So for me, what recovery and sobriety first looked like three and a half years ago was all focused around alcohol because alcohol had played such a dramatic role in a very, very negative way in my life for so long. Um, that was one of those, I didn't hit rock bottom physically. Like I ended up in the hospital on the hospital, but emotionally I was at this place of just, I was just ready to give up. I, I just, I still had the will to live, but like, I just had no will to like keep trying for myself or something like it was just, I was lost. And it, I feel like I had one of those moments where I joke about it. I call it a Gibbs moment. And it's, if you've ever watched the show NCIS, he does this thing where he like slaps people on the back of the head and it kind of like, Hey, <laughs> snap you back into it. And the night I decided to get sober, I felt like it was one of those, the light bulb got, got turned on the switch, got flipped something finally clicked in my brain that was telling me if you don't make a change now, it's never going to happen for you. And you're never going to find what you're looking for. 
And what I was looking for was some peace, some happiness. Like I just wanted some like internal peace. That's all I cared for. So I got sober, right? And I started doing the work six months into it. I meet you. We have our discovery call and I decide to work one-on-one with you and do the heal method. And that honestly was the thing that like slingshotted me into where I'm at now, because prior to that, I felt like I was white knuckling my sobriety. 1000%. I was going to, to therapy. I had gone to AA meetings. Like I was physically showing up but emotionally, I was not dealing with my emotional, my, my, my emotions. And what I call that is emotional sobriety. Mm-hmm. And so when you stop using a physical thing to push down all of those emotions, eventually they're going to start coming up. And if you don't start dealing with them, you're going to start having these outbursts and those outbursts can look like all kinds of different things. And so what started as a physical, like, Hey, I just need to stop drinking turned into a, oh shit, we've got a lot of stuff inside that we got to deal with. And I didn't realize I'd always thought I'd had this hunky dory childhood because no one ever hit me or anything like that. Not realizing that trauma happens in so many different ways on so many different levels via physically and emotionally, mentally, all the ways. Um, so yeah, that really just pushed me into a lifestyle of, um, really getting clear and getting connected with myself inside. And so then that started my spiritual journey. And of course the spiritual journey has opened me up to a world of just different things. But what I've come to realize, especially recently is this is something, yes, I have three and a half years of sobriety in me. And like, that's great. I'm not diminishing that in any way, shape or form, but compared to the lifetime of drinking and avoiding emotions, I still have a lot of work that needs to be done. And that's recently shown up for me because I've started to see how I've gotten pulled away from my, my daily self-care routine and really putting myself first. My addictive tendencies are starting to show back up. They're starting to creep back through in different ways. That's not drinking. Mm -hmm. And that can look like a million different things for people. And for me, what it looked like was overspending, I would go on shopping sprees. And one thing I've noticed as an emotional authority is when I'm shopping and I'm on a high, I'm going to spend some money. But when I'm shopping and I'm on the depths of, you know, I'm in the the depths of those deep lows, I don't shop as as much. I don't spend as much because I know I'm emotionally shopping. But when I'm on the high, it was just like when I was drinking and in a social environment, when I'm right in that high, I'm going to keep drinking. I was buying shots for people. I was making sure everyone was having fun. And so I started to see how that was coming through with my shopping. And then on top of it, I was getting sucked back into the world of social media, comparing, trying to make sure I was quote unquote relevant, you know, in in a sense, keeping up with the Joneses, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of that, making sure that you're worthy. Like you've got X amount of followers. You got to make sure that you've got something to show them. You know, and so all of that getting pulled away from my self-care routine and that the whole sober lifestyle is really, in my opinion, cultivating that sacred self-care routine for yourself, that radical self-care routine where you're truly taking responsibility for everything, your emotions, your actions, like all of it, right? We create our own world and it's up to us to, to change it whenever it's not going the way that we want to have it go. And so it's just, 
divinely perfect that we're having this conversation right now as I'm in the midst of going through my own realization of how I've pulled away from that sober lifestyle. I've pulled away and kind of got sucked into the, the physical, the back into the societal standards of what you have to do in order to be relevant in the world. Yeah. Ugh. So much, ugh, so much good stuff here. Like everything they share, I'm just like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And there's like, <laughs> so much coming through. What I really want to like expand on within that is, you know, this whole piece around, you know, that th- th- this is all coming from like different trauma responses, right? Like mm-hmm. everybody has a different trauma response and some don't resonate maybe right now with the word trauma, because like you were saying, you know, maybe people are like, well, I don't have trauma in my life because I wasn't hit or abused, or I didn't go through this like massive, you know, grief or, you know, people, that's what they associate with trauma, but you know, trauma can be so many different things. And we don't really realize how much we're being, um, impacted by different stress and things in our life. We're just being conditioned by just like society around us, especially when we're children. And so we create habits and stress responses, essentially, this is how our nervous system is trying to regulate our body through behaviors, essentially to feel safe in our body. Cause that's ultimately always what the body wants. It wants to feel safe and secure. And so when it's stressed out or trauma is being activated in the system, our, our trauma responses can very much look like these actions and behaviors that are coming out and essentially on the conscious level, right? This is what we're thinking about. I don't like this behavior, or I don't like how I'm acting right now, or I don't like how I'm feeling, or I don't how my like my life looks, or how did I get here? Right. And so we're focusing on the, you know, these conscious things instead of really recognizing there are so many different layers to the trauma that has been, you know, either like what you're saying, Patsy, you were kind of numbing it away and not really focusing on it through the alcohol you know, or for other people that can look like a lot of different things and you can be doing things like checking out. It could be just like constantly always, you know, um, checking out with TV or electronics or kind of shutting out off in that way, or it could look like binge eating, or it could look like, you know, shopping impulses. It could be, um, you know, just spending money in general. It can be like, there's so many things here that can, can be what we're trying to do to override these uncomfortable feelings that are coming up in our body. Right. And even sometimes they can be things that we can, we can associate as a positive Mm -hmm. behavior, but if we're kind of like over, um, it becomes more of like an obsessive, like, you know, like self-care routine, right? Like I've had clients where they become very locked in on like meditating and journaling to a point where they feel like, well, if I don't meditate and I don't journal, or if I don't do it long enough, then I'm not going to do X, Y, Z and things won't be good. Or my whole day is not going to flow, or I'm not going to manifest what I desire. Or they, Mm -hmm. they start creating all these rules and lies around even like a positive outlet for themselves. And then that starts to become like an addictive over, um, compulsive, obsessive, behavior. So all of this, I feel like sobriety in it's like what you're talking about is really analyzing everything at a whole of like how we're reacting to stress in our life and what are we using 
as that crutch or that thing that pulls us out because we think that that thing is going to make us feel better. Like what you were saying, the end result, wanting to feel peace, joy, calm. And so we think that that's the shortcut to get there versus really like sitting with all this other stuff that's bubbling up for us, or we've just never learned. Yeah. Right. As kids, Mm -hmm. like it's not something taught in school. It's usually our parents don't know how to self-regulate most of them don't. Well, and what do they say? Those, you know, kids that don't learn how to navigate their emotions end up growing to be adults who don't know how to navigate their emotions. Mm -hmm. Just because we're adults doesn't mean we all of a sudden know what to do with all of these emotions. We're just at this, this point in our, our, our ego that we say, oh, well, I'm an adult. So I know what's best. Oh, I'm an adult. I was raised um, this way or that way, or I've seen it done this way. So that's the way it has to be, right? Yeah. Remember, that's not the case. And with social media and our phones and electronics and everything being as prevalent as it is in the world today, I feel as though people have just been so pulled away from just the simple task of like sitting still, put the phone away, turn the TV off. It doesn't matter if it's 30 seconds or or five minutes, but like allow yourself to just sit, don't meditate, don't journal, don't do anything and just Mm -hmm. sit with yourself. See how long you can sit with yourself before you go to reach for your phone. Just do a little challenge. You know, I did it with myself recently. And the amount of times I reached for my phone for random things, it was just because I was bored. And so what do I do? I go to grab my phone. So I started putting myself in timeout on my phone. 30 minutes here and there. Hey, we're going to learn how to not be on our phone. We're going to learn how to sit with ourselves and ask ourselves, does my body hurt anywhere? Am I hungry right now? Like, what do I need? Do I need comfort? Do I need nourishment? Do I need to cry? Because so much, so many times I feel like people are so preoccupied with all of the busyness that's going on in the world that they don't ask, they don't stop long enough to ask themselves, like, what do I need? And sometimes it's just as simple as like 30 seconds of deep breathing, just to like re-regulate your nervous system, send some oxygen, some blood flow to your brain. So you can start thinking logically, because when you go into that fight or flight mode, your blood flow is restricted. That restricts oxygen to your brain. And that restricts the logical thinking to where you can make clear choices in a stressful situation. Yeah. And you know, that along with the emotional intelligence piece, if you, if you're not able to do that for a second, especially in a stressful situation, that's when we tend to start making those dramatic changes or dramatic choices of, oh, I'm going to cut this person out of my life because they hurt my ego or I was triggered or whatever the case may be. Yeah. And I think that the important piece to understand this is like, we, like you were saying, like, it's not like we were ever taught these things. And I'm actually, I'm right now I'm in the middle of going through, um, just kind of learning more ways. Cause I'm, I'm homeschooling Landon right now. Right. So I'm learning a lot about like unschooling and kind of learning how to, to teach him and, and to, to learn together in like new ways than like the quote unquote, like a typical, like this is, you know, you sit at your desk and you 
you do math for an hour and then you do reading for an hour and then you do writing for an hour. Right. And what I've been learning, what's really interesting is like, when you think about this, right, like kids are put in school all day, every day, and they're just facing a teacher and looking for the teacher to tell them basically everything. Right. And they're constantly being taught about like authority in life, which I'm not saying that authority is bad and understanding like certain levels of authority, but they're not ever taught about their own authority. Mm-hmm. Nowhere in the school system or at home are children really taught about their own authority. So then you have us growing up and we're constantly looking to everyone else telling us what to do, what, to, how to be a successful adult. This is what you need to learn. These are what's the, right, the, what's wrong, what's right. And what's wrong. Yeah. And there's still never any discussion of like, how do you listen to your body? How do you really know your own authority? How do you trust yourself? How do you really are looking for divine guidance between you and whoever, you know, you connect with, um, but really ultimately listening to, but does that still resonate with my body? What I'm hearing and receiving, does that feel correct for me? So then you have all these adults like that are now in the world and they're being told you can do it, go and do it and and on your own. And like, you're worthy of this. And you, and you get all these really great, I am statements and and stuff. Mm -hmm. And people are like, well, but, uh, uh, that sounds great. But then they're literally, again, grab their phone to look for social media, to like look outside of themselves or the next spirit, you know, the next personal development, you know, book or the next course Mm -hmm. or the next mentor or the next, you know, it can even be like leaders, you know, like in our world, like any leader for that matter. Right. And so especially right now, these last 18 months, when we've been under like an immense pressure cooker of stress Mm -hmm. and all of these outside sources telling us what's right, what's wrong, this, you need to do this you need to do that, blah, 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 blah. And if you don't do this, then you're this. And if you're this, then you're that, like it's, you know, it creates more stress and trauma responses flying out of everybody because nobody knows really truly how to listen to their own inner guidance of what Mm -hmm. feels right. And so I love what you're really calling people to do is like turn everything off. Don't even meditate. Don't even journal. Just like sit in your own energy and just start listening to your body. What is it saying to you? Yeah. And then, and then like listening to those emotions, like I, I'm a Pisces, right? I do everything humanly possible to avoid feeling quote unquote, bad emotions, anger, frustration, irritation, sadness. Like I do everything I can to stay like in my la la land of a world. But what I've come to realize through my sobriety, which are things that obviously I was so numbed out before I didn't like listening to my body before getting sober was just comical. I was never sober long enough. Like I always had so much alcohol in my system. My body was just constantly telling me like, get it out. (laughs) And to me, that was like the normal feeling. I didn't know any other feeling besides just feeling like shit. Mm. And now that I'm three and a half years sober, like alcohol does not even appeal to me because the idea of one of those hangover headaches or just like the upset stomach or anything, like it just pushes me so far away. Right. But the whole, like listening to our body and listening to our emotions, I've really started to open and it's so funny because we just hit Scorpio season. So go figure. I'm going to talk about this, but <laughs> I'm really, truly opening my arms up 
to those lower vibe emotions because every single emotion, it's not good or bad. Some are just more enjoyable to feel than others, but every emotion is there to tell you something. Mm-hmm. So if you are angry, if you are triggered, if you are upset, whatever the case is, there's multiple things that's there to tell you, but one of it could be, Hey, you're in a dangerous situation. You need to leave. One could be, this person's not in alignment with you. One could be, they said something and it triggered you and you want to get mad at them, but you realize it's because it's something inside of you. It was just a mirror that triggered something inside of you that you just now all of a sudden have awareness around and you're like, Oh damn, maybe I should sit with that for a minute. And so that's my new thing. Whenever I start to realize something about me that it's not necessarily my favorite thing, I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Let me go sit with that for a minute. Let me go see how I feel whenever I think about the fact that I do that. Doesn't matter if it's something intentional or unintentional, you know, but it's just learning to ask yourself, okay, I'm angry right now. Why am I angry? It's because this person did that. Okay. But why did that truly bother me? Is it because they cut me off or is it because 15 minutes before they cut me off, I just had to pay a big bill and I'm really actually stressed about my money. Mm-hmm. And you start, you start backtracking and getting to the root of why you feel that. And you could go into a whole whirlwind of questions around money, you know, why you're feeling stressed about money. Well, are you overspending? Are you chasing a high by going on a shopping spree? And now all of a sudden your bills came in and you don't have any money to pay your bills. You know, there's so many different variables that go into that, but it's, it's truly just sitting with yourself and asking yourself like, okay, what are we feeling right now? What do you need? Talk to me. Mm. And then allowing yourself the time to let your body do that. Learn how to listen to your body. You're not going to be able to just figure out every little clue that it gives you the first time you sit with it. You have to cultivate that experience just like you do in a marriage. You have to cultivate that relationship with yourself. So when your body is talking to you, you can hear it and you can say, okay, I hear you. I'll give you what you need. Yes. And I think it's important for me just to add in really quickly here that if you're moving through something that is really bringing up a lot of heavy emotions for you, because there's like, we've talked about, there's different layers of trauma and there's different layers of emotions. Um, but I, you know, obviously there are certain situations that sitting with yourself through things can be a lot harder to do dependent on what you've been experiencing. You could have, you know, PTSD from Mm -hmm. the, the, you know, the experiences you've been through. So this is where I really encourage for those listening that if you're moving through something or you recognize that there's something that is really, you know, much heavier for you, you know, there's no shame. And I encourage actually all of my clients, no matter where they are at in their journey, um, to reach out, to have, you know, a therapist or to work with their doctor or work with somebody who's trauma informed, you know, have somebody holding space with you for you, who actually understands the magnitude of the trauma that you're trying to unpack and move through. Because I think that there's some, for some people, you know, they hear that and they're like, I can't sit with that emotion. Mm -hmm. It, you know, their nervous system just completely wants to shut down or creates massive panic attacks. So there's definitely systems out there and, and people out there. And I, um, I'll, again, I always will put the, um, the link in my, 
in the show notes below, I think it's psychologytoday.com where you can find a therapist local to you. Um, and I think obviously like right now with everything, you can even work just a tell with like telehealth or whatever it's called, even if they're not local. Yeah. And honestly, doesn't matter how minute you think that your trauma is mm-hmm. in my personal opinion, no trauma is minute because mm. we all perceive things in such different ways. So my trauma may look like nothing to another person, but for me, it was traumatic. And that does not take away from the effect or the input that it had on my life. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And as, as I've gone, gone and realized that I 1000% recommend everybody, whether you think you have trauma or not, go talk to a therapist and go talk or talk to a coach, somebody, because it's just so transfer transformative. What can happen when you start letting that stuff come up and come out and you'll start to realize things you didn't even know were bothering you. And sometimes it's easier to verbalize it and hear yourself say it to someone. You don't even necessarily need them to respond. It's just getting it out and you're hearing it with your own words. And all of a sudden you get these new revelations or realizations. So I I agree with you like 1000%, definitely, definitely. There's no shame in having help. There's no shame in having a therapist and it's okay. If you lived your life a certain way for 40 years and you all of a sudden realize that maybe that's not the best way, like that's okay. It's, it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to change. It's okay to, it doesn't take away from your worth or your intelligence or what you bring to the world. You're still a great mom or a great dad, despite having to make these changes. You're still a great business leader or a great coach, despite having to make some shifts in your life. We're all human. We all have plenty we can work on. Yeah. And I think that was so important to remind people that yes, what one might perceive as their traumas feels my new. And I think that's what holds people back from getting the actual help that they need in their healing is because they're looking at theirs and they'll be like, Oh, well, or, or because that's a story you hear a lot. Right. Yeah. And people where it's like, you know, parents have do this all the time to children and, um, where it's like, you know, like what's that, that saying? Like they're starving children in Africa, right? It's yeah. like, your life could be worse. There's children that have no toys for Christmas or there's, mm-hmm. you know, and they, and you hear these stories kind of like said, right. And you don't recognize that that can sometimes just be the impact of just somebody even, um, diminishing your own pain. That yeah. is a trauma. And if you've had that repeated over and over and over and over and over, where even just the, you know, you never having your pain ever validated and it's always diminished over time that creates a much bigger response in your body that your feelings and your emotions don't ever matter. Right. So, and so then that you stay stuck in that, well, I can't go talk to anybody or my thing isn't as big because it's not these things over here or, um, So I, I, I love that you brought that up because I do think that that's super important for people to understand that no trauma is too, too small and please do not diminish what you're going through as not important. Yeah. You know, and to give us a quick example, you know, I grew up in the competition industry, beauty pageants, dance, like you name it. I was competing like, and 
there's been many, many amazing, strong women that have come out of the pageant industry that have gone on to be legislators and like leaders in the political world and doing massive things for women and, and giving back to communities. And so I'm not taking away from like what pageants have to offer. I love them. But for my experience, I went through and was in a world of judgment and comparison all the time. And I internalized it because of everything else that was going on in my home life. Mm. And so for a long time, I didn't talk about the emotional trauma that I got from all of the years of competing. I mean, from the age of three into 17, I was in the competition world. And so that's already a hard time in school comparison and all that kind of stuff. And so I was afraid to talk about that. I felt like I was weak, that I was less than all of these other girls who seem to make it out of the pageant world unfathomed, you know, but it's, it's doesn't matter what they did. What matters was my experience. And that doesn't take away from my experience or my pain just because they were two different experiences. Yeah. Your experience is your experience. And Mm -hmm. that is always the experience that matters and making your own healing a top priority. And, and not comparing it to anyone else. Like, I love that so much. So I want to kind of like backtrack a little bit in terms of like going back into just like sobriety, um, and kind of removing out, you know, the things that we're using or become these crutches. And so for me personally, this is kind of what this brought up for me and why I reached out to you is that I, so I'm not, I've never, Let's see here. I've been through periods of time that I can recognize that alcohol came into my life and I've probably overused it and was numbing out in periods of time. But in the moment, I didn't really see it that way, nor did I ever think I was like, oh, I have an alcohol problem or whatever. Um, now I know alcoholism runs in my family. My grandfather actually died from his alcoholism and um, liver failure. Um, so I always grew up it like being beat into my head, essentially like be careful with drinking and you're, you know, it's genetically, you're going to, you know, it could skip generations and and then you're going to be an alcoholic. So it was always kind of like forced on me. And so there for a long time that any time I ever had any type of emotional, anything, um, it was always like, are you, are you using too much or are you drinking too much? So I was always like very, I felt like under a microscope all the time of like my usage of drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I grew up and as I kind of like went through phases of like, I would drink more around high stressful moments and I would notice it. And then I would kind of like curb it back down. Cause I was like, Oh, that's, you know, I don't want to be drinking too much this last year while I was going through all my health stuff. I just started noticing, like, I just felt less like wanting to drink more mm-hmm. and more and more, the more I listened to my body and the more I was honoring it. I started recognizing I just didn't feel like I really wanted to drink until like June, right before I got sick with mono, I went out on an anniversary date with Kyle. I had one drink and I felt horrible, like absolutely horrible. The next day I felt so sick. Kyle's like, you had a drink. And I was like, I just, maybe I'm getting old. That's what I kept saying. I was like, I'm 40 now. Like I just obviously can't handle alcohol anymore or or something. you know, come to find out, like, then I started getting sick with mono and my liver enzymes were actually like through the roof. So like my liver is like, we can't detox anything right now. Like stop putting alcohol in even a drink. It's going to screw you up. 
But through this experience, long story, you guys, this is me. This is just being <laughs> like going all projectors. like being a projector and just sharing it all. Right. Every I started matters. What? Every detail matters. Every detail totally matters. <laughs> <laughs> it's not us. Um, I'm sitting there and I'm just kind of like, it opened me up to just being very self-reflective of all of this, right. Of, you know, my childhood and alcohol and the stories that I heard around alcohol, the periods of time that maybe I abused alcohol to help my, you know, emotions. Like, especially when I went through my divorce with my Mm ex-husband, I, I talked about, you know, they talked about stages of grief and divorce. I was like, I'm in the drunk phase right now. I don't know where that is, but I'm in drunk phase. Um, but it just started opening up like this me just really listening to my body. And all of a sudden my body was just like, we just don't really ever want to drink, but you've been using it because that's kind of like what the, what everybody kind of tells you to do, right. With motions or like a good day or a bad day or mommy relaxation time or day night or celebrating it's a holiday. I started recognizing like all these things. And I was like, but I don't really want to, I started recognizing it in my head. I was like, why am I doing it? If I don't really want to, Yes. yes right. Yes. Preach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, I feel like I just want to just like play around with, I mean, obviously I'm not drinking right now because I know what's going on with my liver with trying right. to detox all these toxins from my body and stuff. Um, but there's this part of me that's just like, it just sounds good for a while just to go and be sober. And just how does that look for a while? No, I 1000%. So two things to it. One, I always encourage anybody I talk to, whether you have a quote unquote drinking problem or not, I always encourage, encourage everybody to just ask themselves, like what value is alcohol bringing to my life and sit down, like weigh out the pros and the cons, start, start listing out how you feel when you're drinking versus how you feel when you're not drinking, pay attention to the thoughts that go through your head after you've been drinking, like the next day you know, you're more irritable. You probably have more bullshit stories running through your head about things that probably aren't even true, especially if you're an emotional being like me. <laughs> I feel you on this. You know, like, <laughs> really, really like pay attention to not just the physical effects alcohol is having on you, but the mis- the mental and the emotional effects too. Mm-hmm. And just play with it. No one says that you have to give up alcohol for the rest of your life, but maybe you narrow down to only drinking on Friday nights with your spouse or on a Sunday afternoon when you're watching your football game, like no one says that you have to quit completely, but let's also sit back and ask ourselves it's poison. So why are we so excited to put poison into our body? Mm. Nothing good comes from alcohol except for maybe a remote fun time. But then after that fun time comes headaches, dehydration, your liver failing, bad skin, acne, you know, aging, all of these different things happen because of the physical effects that alcohol has on your body. And it goes, it can be spread into other things, but anything that brings more stress than good onto your body is automatically going to cause your body more, more dis-ease. And if you add emotional distress on top of that, that's like double work for your body and your immune system to like try to replenish from. Yeah. 
you know what the interesting thing is, is that, so, you know, everybody is always, you know, the winos. Like I love, I love wine, right? Mm -hmm. I loved wine, but here's the interesting thing. I didn't always love wine. I used to not be a big wine drinker. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I slowly here and there, like I'd have like little bits of wine, um, with people because I was like, I felt like, well, I want, it was almost like, here's the projector, total FOMO. I want to be a part of the wine, the wine people. They think like, I feel like they're just, they're enjoying something that I'm not enjoying and I don't get it. So like, I want to get it. Their wine glasses. Yeah. I really wanted to get it. Right. So I was like, I want to, I want to drink the wine. Like I want to figure this out. I want to drink the Kool-Aid. Right. And I remember that. So every time I ever tried to drink red wine, especially I would get a wicked migraine mm-hmm. and it wouldn't take much. Right. And I learned that that's from like the tannins and mm-hmm. red wine. And that can actually, for somebody who is a headache sufferer or even people that aren't that can create headaches. And so I always, when I started trying to drink wine, I, I remember saying to somebody, I was like, well, I can really only drink like white wine. I can't really drink red because I'll get a headache. And I remember being told you can build up your tolerance. though. you just drink more red wine and eventually your body will just adjust and it'll get used to it. And then you can drink red wine like everybody else. Cause red wine's so good. And so I was like, Oh, okay. And now I'm, thinking, I'm like, what? let's pump the brakes for a that? second, right? Let's pump the brakes for just a second here and recognize that my body was physically telling me we don't like this. It makes us sick. Yep. Not let's drink more of it to make you like force my body to ingest something that it was telling me firmly. We don't like it. Mm -hmm. Stop. So I recognize that even now, like that just popped up in my head, like, oh shit, bitch. Like what, why did I do that to myself? (laughs) Yeah. But you know, alcohol, especially like from the time of like prohibition, like there for so long because it was illegal and everybody wanted their hands on it. I don't know why the government made it legal. Maybe it was just because it was easier, you know, to regulate it than to have everybody like killing each other for a barrel of poor whiskey or whatever. I don't know. I didn't live back then, but (laughs) I'm just going based off of movies. First thing that comes to my mind is lawless. Um, you know, like it's just from such a long time ago, it's just been introduced and entertained as this necessity to deal with life. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's not, it really isn't. It brings so much more pain than good. And if we all just take a moment to realize like, okay, why do I drink? I drink because my best friends and blah, blah, blah. You know, one of my biggest fears when I first got sober was like, well, who am I going to hang out with? Like, where are my friends going to be? Mm-hmm. And the moment I got sober, that became real clear who my friends were going to be. It became real clear who my bar buddies were. It became real clear who was only around me for convenience or for their own gain. Mm-hmm. And that hurt. I didn't like that. I didn't like feeling alone. Um, I didn't like a lot of the things that went with that. But as I stuck it out, what I started to gain were true, genuine, valuable relationships, which was the thing that my soul had been craving since I was a little girl, because I spent my entire life moving around, never having genuine friendships. Mm. And so what did I do to try to gain that? I would drink to become the cool person at the party and buy everybody shots. That way everybody liked me and wanted to be around me. 
but they were only around me for the wrong reasons. Now I have people that are in my life because they actually want to be in my life. And that feels good. That gives me that, that sense of internal knowing and peace that like, if something were to go South in my life and I didn't feel like I could handle it on my own, I've got people I can call. They don't even have to be in the same state. That's the beautiful thing about phone calls. Like Mm. I've got somebody that I can express the deepest, darkest, ugliest parts of myself with them. And they sit there and they hold the space and they love me through it. They still think of me at the same, despite my blow up or my emotional reaction, because they love me for me, not because of what I bring to them. It's so beautiful. And I think it's, I feel like so many people can relate to that. I mean, I know I can relate to this just like when I look back at, you know, my early teens, my teens and my twenties and when I was drinking and what was the narrative around it for me. And I remember just thinking like, well, one, I felt like this is what everybody did. It was like the cool thing to do. Like that's what my friends were doing. And I wanted to fit in and coming from not fitting in for a long time. Cause physically my body, I went through a lot of like bullying and shaming of my physical body. And so I would try to cover up and hide my body, which then led to everybody making fun of me, how I dressed. And, and I ended up just kind of hanging out with the people that, you know, welcomed me and accepted me. Um, so I was a little bit more deemed like this, like thuggish, ruggish, like <laughs> gangster girl in my, in my high school. And I was partying a lot and drinking a lot and doing drugs and smoking cigarettes and, and doing all these things. And then I recognized that that started becoming who I thought I had to be all the time, because then I was being dubbed as like the party didn't arrive until Blair got there. Right. And so it was like, I felt I'm funner or I'm cooler or I'm more accepted or I'm more loved even by my own group of friends which some of these people I, I still know today. And I know like if they heard this, they would be like Blair. Well, actually they called me Blitch. Funny enough. Okay. I love that. Blair. Yeah. They're like Blair. Cause she's a bitch. I had a bitchy attitude to like, and that was another self yeah. me- like defense mechanism mm-hmm. that I was like, I'm just going to be bitchy first so that everybody just leaves me the fuck alone. You know, and then my actual friends were like, if people knew you're actually like the nicest person, right? <laughs> like that's such a front just to get people to leave you alone. They would, they would die. Like you're so yeah. sweet. Um, but yeah, they'd be like, Blitch, like, come on. Like, you know, we would have loved you whether you drank or partied or did any of those things. But again, that was my own insecurity. That was my mm-hmm. own feeling of not feeling I was fitting in. So I continued to keep putting myself in these situations that this is how I fit in and which then turn this is how I process emotion, you know, go out on a Saturday night, go get, you know, dolled up, go dance my little ass off and drink a whole bunch of alcohol because that's how I'm going to process or feel better or disconnect from all the other shitty things that are going on in my day. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful distraction. Oh yeah. Exactly what it is. Cause all it, I mean, I, yeah, life full of distractions until I got sober and then all of those distractions went away and everything that I was distracting myself from said, what's up, bitch. <laughs> so like, oh, still there. That's cool. It's like that meme with the guy that was like coming over the grass, like, and he's like peeking. Yes. And you're like, it's all your traumas and all your, yep. like, 
oh, hi, you're sober now. I'm here. Does that mean you're ready to hang out with us and deal with us? Yes, We've no. been waiting. <laughs> and I mean, this is something I talk with my clients about, and you know this, like we, we talk about this a lot. Like when we worked together in a heal method, it's like, essentially it's opening up the closet, right. That in our, in, in our home that we oh. shove all the things in, right. Everybody's got the one closet or the drawer or the cabinet that they shove all their stuff in that they haven't organized, or they're just, they're going to get around to it later. And that's, you know, what I think for sobriety, that's what opens up that door for a lot of people is to open that up and kind of like, look at everything that they haven't really been looking at. Um, because they've been using alcohol or something else to distract them from that thing. And, you know, talking about things using as a distraction, um, it's again, divine timing per usual with everything in my life now, but my husband just recently, we had a conversation over the last week, uh, a few different times throughout the week. And he, you know, just said, he joked around and was just like, I, can I just tell you how much this mindset shit's already changing my life? And I was like, oh my God, Yes. Yes, please tell me because I'm afraid. <laughs> Invite me into this conversation. I still want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I've been trying to get you to listen to me on mindset work for the last three and a half years. So yes, I would love to hear how it's finally settling into your mind. Mm-hmm. And so he went through and, you know, he told me all of his stuff and he has been using work as his distraction. Oh. He's been so focused on growing his business and doing this and like doing all the things for his work that himself, his relationship with me, us, you know, our home life was put on the back burner and me being the loving wife that I am. I'm like, babe, I get it. I understand. Right. Like it's fine. I'm trying to be understanding of that, but I also wasn't calling him out on the fact that he was doing that. And sometimes we need to be called out. Sometimes we kind of need someone to hold up the mirror so we can see our own shit. Mm-hmm. And so through this conversation, he really just told me how it finally is clicking in his head, how his internal world literally manifests to what his external world is. Mm-hmm. And he took a step back and he realized how of much of a roller coaster his external world was. One day he business was going great. And the next minute he felt like he wanted to throw in the towel. He goes, and it finally dawned on me because I'm not taking care of myself. He went through three months of back pain because of, he probably did one small movement at work and tweaked himself, but he was working seven days a week. I'm sorry, six days a week from like 9am to 7pm constantly stressed because he has to do the physical work and the computer work. And that left him no time for him. Right. But he was just so focused on work and he's slightly addicted to work because he's a Capricorn and that's what they do. (laughs) It's so frustrating. (laughs) But ever since, I guess it's been about, I don't know, about probably since the beginning of October, he's really taken a step back and he he's forced himself to not work weekends and he's rescheduling his days to where he's not overbooking himself in case something goes wrong. He has some wiggle room between his first job and his second or his third job, right? Then he comes home and he starts implementing all of these small things at home with his self-care routine, his own spiritual journey, even though we're totally different in that area, he has his own thing that works for him. And that's all I care about. It doesn't have to look like mine. It just needs to look like yours and it needs to work. Exactly. And, and in these 25 days, 
I've just seen such a dramatic change in his, like his demeanor and his energy and his aura, because he, he still deals with the same stresses, but he's like, you know what? Like I can do this. I can do this. I just got to get through today. I just got to get through today. Yesterday wasn't one of the best ones. And at the end of the night, he was like, you know what? I'm so sorry that I got angry and blah, blah, blah. And I looked down and said, baby, I don't care if you get angry. I don't care if you yell and you cuss. That doesn't bother me. I'd rather you get it out than you push it down. I said, but in the process of it, take a moment to breathe and ask yourself why you're getting so angry. That way you just don't let it consume you. And then you end up going to bed angry and waking up irritated the next day. Right. Yeah. And so he's really started implementing the whole him as a man. It's difficult, but he's actually starting to talk to me when something bothers him, when he gets his feelings hurt, because surprisingly or not, men get their feelings hurt and that's okay. And I think all of that aspect, he looked at me like two days ago and he goes, you know what I realized? And I said, what? He goes, I don't have any back pain. I was like, <laughs> Hello. I've been telling you it was emotionally stored energy. <laughs> you know, like going crazy. Cause I, I knew it. Like it yeah. he was doing all the physical stuff and it still wasn't going away. And I'm like, it's cause you've got so much energy stored up into your body and it doesn't have anywhere to go. You mm-hmm. got to deal with it. And so Grant, he's sober. He doesn't do drugs. He has none of that. He's quit drinking when I quit drinking. Right. So none of that is in, is in his day to day, but he got so consumed with work and trying to make all of that happen that he still put himself on the back burner. So even though focusing on work, is not necessarily a bad thing. You can be so focused on work that you're forgetting about everything else that's going on in your world, including you. Oh my God. So good. Like I resonate. <laughs> This is my husband to like it to you. Okay. One, he's a Manny Jen. So he is just oh right. So you get it right. Manny yeah. Jen's I praise you. I love you guys. I love your energy. You guys can do so many things, but when they're doing all the things that they think they have to be doing, or they should be doing, and they're not saying no to certain things. And they're mm-hmm. not saying yes to the things that they actually really want to do. Like, oh man, you guys can burn yourselves out like in the worst way. And so I see this with my husband all the time. And actually the very interesting thing is, so he's going and seeing my natural path too, which that took a while for him to like come on board. Right. Cause he was like, I'm not going to a fucking natural path. Like, right. Right. Even though like his dad is a chiropractor, his uncle's a chiropractor, his grandfather's a chiropractor, like one of a close family friends is an acupuncturist. Like, and my husband's been in sports his whole life. So he's been exposed to sports medicine and all sorts of different ways of treating the body, um, with all sorts of different types of treatments that are not the quote unquote, you know, Western medical way of thinking and things. Um, so he started seeing how well I was doing and improving. And then I took Landon. And so then he's seeing what Landon's going through. And so then he's finally like, okay, I guess I'll go because nothing has been helping him. And he's got a lot of gut problems and other physical things going on. Finally get him to go. And sure as shit, like the first thing the natural path is telling him is that the re- that he is so go, 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 go. Especially right now in this season of life, he mm-hmm. is a manager at his job. He gets up at 3.30 in the morning every day. And then when he gets off of work somewhere like 10 hours later, 12 hours later, whatever it is, he then has a very short period of time before he's got to go coach high school football right now. 
Mm-hmm. And that eats up his schedule like crazy. And then like this weekend he had, he, it was his weekend to work, to cover at work as a manager. Mm-hmm. So he didn't even get a day off this weekend. So he's just going, going, going all the time. And she was like, it's because your, your body's so stressed out right now and you're not getting any breaks. And I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. Like I could have told him that. I think I probably have told him that, but he hasn't yeah. been listening to me. Yeah. Right. But it, it is that it's like, he's so addicted to doing that's the thing right there because the moment I told Chris I said just go sit down for five minutes just sit down for five minutes oh god they look like they're gonna crawl out of skin right yeah <laughs> like- he sat down and he's like Patsy I feel like I'm committing a crime because mm-hmm. I know all I can think about are the things that I need they to gotta do. go do <laughs> and I'm like sit you need to sit down for 10 minutes now like what like because <laughs> you're of- in a 10 no. minute time out now sir <laughs> literally like but I, I get it. It didn't, and again, as a projector, I don't really get it. Cause I, the moment someone says rest, I'm like, okay, yes. Thank you for the permission. It's all I wanted. As I sit here with my really fuzzy blanket, I got you know, fuzzy like, blankets on my feet. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I get it. Like they are, they're addicted to doing and society hasn't helped that. No, no. That programming, because it's not just men that are programmed that way. It's not just many gens that are programmed that way. It's a societal programming that if you're not doing, you're not succeeding and you're not performing in some way and everything's graded on an external thing. I mean, the school in general, everything is based off of what you externally produce as a good little student. And that's how everything is based upon of what you do. There's all these criteria and all these measure marks and, and mm-hmm. check marks that have to be met in order for you to be deemed doing a good job. Yep. But like everybody's capability is different. So everybody's good job is going to look different. Yeah. If, if I give my best and my best is not as good as the next person next to me, that doesn't mean that I'm less than them. They just excel in that area more than I do. And that's okay right now. Maybe that's not my area. Yeah. I mean, and we have to look at that as a, as collective, right? Like people don't really assess all of us as like how uh, we all work as a community and as a tribe. Mm -hmm. And I think that some people can understand it and they can get it right. But what creates a good thriving community and tribe is when we actually allow each person to really get connected into their individualism and understanding who they are and what they are good at and what value they bring. And each person's value is so greatly different from the others. But when we do that and we allow people to be in their own strength and trust their own tuition and guidance, it literally allows for everyone else to thrive. It's this bullshit that we're fed of like, but we all need to do it this way. Everybody's got to do this. And if you're not doing it, then you're like, you're hurting everybody and you're you know, you're wrong or you're bad, or you're not going to be successful or, you know, don't, you know, listen to yourself. You need to listen to this. It's like, because they're the more the authority here. It's, it's so much bullshit. And so I think, you know, what we see with our men, right. And and men are naturally just such doer and providers. And that is that beautiful masculine energy that we need Mm -hmm. so much in the world. Yep. Like we need it, but it's just been recognizing it's just been operating 
in a system that does not fully support them and the whole mm-hmm. collective as a whole. And I, I think that this is, we're seeing this unhooking oh, yes. everyone from these systems and recognizing that like, oh shit, I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is like nothing in the world is going to change until we, the people as a collective start to choose something different. Mm -hmm. So we have to, as a collective decide individually and in totality have to decide this is not working anymore. So, because we are all in agreement that this isn't working, y'all are going to have to shift something. Y'all are going to have to change something. And by y'all, I'm talking to referring to the government right now, but that can be used in like so many different areas, so many different scenarios, right? Like we have to consciously decide what, what is okay and what's not okay. And it's okay if what's working or what's going on right now doesn't fit your mold, figure out something new. That's the beautiful, that's why I love being about a projector. I'm like, (laughs) all right, this isn't working. Let's figure out what works for me. That way I can still enjoy this. Yeah. I think up for us projectors, we're kind of, you know, we're getting lit up by that. Right. Because we do get to see from like this whole other perspective and me, like we were talking about how, like you're a Pisces, I'm an Aquarius. So Aquarius mm-hmm. and we're, the, we're in an Aquarius age right now is all about this, like forward thinking, different mm-hmm. ways of thought. It's a little bit kind of maybe outside of the norm. It kind of, you know, rattles and shakes things up a little bit and gets people being a little like, what the hell that sounds weird or looks weird, you know, but me as like a projector Aquarius, I am like fucking here for it. <laughs> I'm like, wide open. It. I'm like, bring it finally. I know. And I'm like, yay. <laughs> but I can see how this, you know, it, and it did for me for a long time too. I think I was really stressed out and trying to figure out like where my place was and all of this, as I was like observing everything and just trying to, and I was like watching everything. And at first I was like, oh my God, this is such a shit show. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> like, I don't even know if I want to interject. <laughs> you know, I, I just want to sit here. <laughs> and I think one thing to remember, there's no denying that there is a world of crazy chaos, whatever you want to call it. There's a world of shit going on right now in everybody's life individually and as a whole, as a collective, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm, what I'm like wishing people would truly comprehend is just because someone says, just because someone likes the color black doesn't mean they hate the color white. Just because someone likes the color blue doesn't mean that they hate the color green, right? So like, just because someone chooses one way that works for them and their family doesn't mean that way needs to be the way for everybody else in the world. Especially when it comes to like emotion, like the things that my husband needs emotionally and the things that I need emotionally, polar opposite, totally different. So therefore the things that he needs because his body's made differently, medically, physically, mentally, those look different than what I need. So even his medical choices are different than my medical choices, you know, and that's okay. I feel like we've gotten, we all forget that like, we're all our own individual beings. And even though there's this crazy societal pressure and standard to look a certain way and to act a certain way, you don't have to agree to it. I am still successful despite not being the CEO of my own company. Mm. I'm still successful and fulfilling my purpose and my passion in life by working for somebody else. 
that works for me and I find joy. I love doing what I do for the girl that I work for. And I am 1000%, 100% sure I do not want to run my own company. That does not sound good to me. But that doesn't mean that I'm any less successful than the CEO that I'm sitting next to. And that's what people need to realize. You can be successful no matter what it looks like, no matter the, the money value or, or anything, as long as you are bringing value into the world in your own unique, magical way that, that fuels you and lights you up every day, you're successful. Success, heaven, perfection, all of that, it's just a state of, it's just a state of mind. It's all it is. Everybody's looks different. Yes. And that even comes down to sobriety. Yeah. Right. Like that, 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 that's what I love about this conversation so much. It's like, even your sobriety journey can look completely different than everyone else's sobriety. Doesn't mean that you have to, you know, not do like, you know, you can't drink ever. You can't, mm-hmm. you know, you know, cause I know people that are, they really, um, use, uh, plant medicines and things like that, which I think that is like a completely different. And I could probably, and I, I should probably have <laughs> a conversation about this on the podcast around plant medicine and why that is different than say other types of things like alcohol. Cause mm-hmm. I think that people think that they think, well, sobriety means sobriety from like all of these, you know, things. And that's, that's that old school, old paradigm way of thinking that you're not, if you're not 110% sober, then you're not sober. That's not true. There is literally an entire community of people out there who are abstinent from alcohol, but they use marijuana to help them stay abstinent from alcohol. That doesn't mean that they're not sober. That doesn't mean that their walk is wrong. They found a way for that to work for them, for them to have success in their sobriety. And that's great. Because they're using it more consciously is what you're, you're, you know, is having people understand that they're using marijuana in a conscious way through their healing. Mm -hmm. It's better helping them heal these, these emotions that are coming up. Um, And, And there's people like me who I have to be mindful if that's the way that I want to take. Now, Mm -hmm. whenever I first quit drinking, I did still smoke, but Mm -hmm. I also started to see how smoking was becoming my new drinking. Mm. So for, for me personally, abstaining from all of that is what works best for me. Now I've dabbled in like Delta eight and CBD and, you know, finding different things. And I allow myself phases. If I feel high stress and I want to go get like a little CBD uh, flower to smoke or something, I'll allow myself that. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I'm human and I understand that I am going to kind of dance in between between it all. I'm not going to just be, Oh, well you, you can't have any sugar at all. So we're never going to eat a cookie again. No, I'm going to allow myself the things that I need in that time, but I'm going to be mindful and I'm going to be conscious and I'm going to ask myself, okay, why are we doing this? Why do you want it? Are you trying to avoid feeling an emotion or are you trying to have support while you work through an emotion? And that's something to be mindful. And that's why I love, I love plant medicine because the, the amount of research and things that have been done with LSD, psilocybin, all these different things to help people work through PTSD, traumatic brain injuries, and a multitude of addictions in a very controlled, safe area, 1000%, I would, I'm down to do it, right? Because yeah. 
that could be a potential thing for somebody. So yeah. it's taking that, having that reminder that like, you don't have to quit at all. You don't have to quit forever. Just trial and error. Yeah. Just like we did when we were kids, we tried and erred with drugs and drinking, right? Well now try it with the sober living. Now try it with like fulfilling your body with nutrients and food that like brings you told you like, you like good feelings inside, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, I could get off onto a whole tangent about that. I love that. I love that. I mean, and I love what you share, you know, and I, I will of course, you know, put your information in the show notes. People can go and check you out because you do a really good job of just like sharing like the spectrum of ways that you can be living more in this sober lifestyle, um, that it doesn't have to be this cookie cutter way that, um, that most people think that this is what sober sobriety is going to mean for me. Or it means that if I say, if I tell people I'm being, I'm sober right now, then they automatically assume then like you're an alcoholic and I'm not Mm -hmm. knocking owning. If you're like, I recognize that I'm alcoholic and I have, you know, issues with alcohol, but I think that there's a lot of, again, there is negative connotations associated with that word and there's shame in that word. And so people don't Mm -hmm. even want to say that they're sober because Mm -hmm. they feel like people are going to judge them or shame them and their choices. And I think that this huge new awakening of like, I see more and more people talking about sober living. I see more and more people, um, kind of like talking about this bigger spectrum of ways to bring in sober living into their life. And it doesn't look so it's not so cut and dry is beautiful. And one thing to remember, you can label it however you want. You can say I'm sober. I'm alcohol free. I'm this, I'm that, whatever. You don't have to have a hundred days in a row in order to consider yourself a hundred days sober. Mm-hmm. Just so you know, you can have a night where you've had one or two drinks and still keep going through in your sober lifestyle. The whole, the whole conversation that I want to bring to the sobriety community is like, for some people, it is all or nothing because of their, their tendencies. And that's 100% okay. And that's what works for them. But that doesn't have to be the way for every single person in the world. The beautiful thing about this is it's all about just taking back your power over your own life. You don't have to do it because your neighbor's doing it or because your coach recommended it. Do it because you want to do it because you want to see what you're truly capable of when you have no other things holding you down. Yeah. Do it to see if you can freaking do it. I mean, I went through a, a cutting out coffee for a little while just to see if I could just cut out coffee, just to, just to challenge myself 30 days, no coffee. Can you do it? I did it one time. The other two times I tried totally failed, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. I wasn't, I wasn't doing it for anybody else except for myself. So when I failed, it wasn't a failure. It was just, Hey, here's an area we need to be mindful on because maybe you're starting to get addicted to the sugar that's in your coffee or the caffeine that's in your coffee. Mm-hmm. And as a, as a former alcohol drinker, that's, that is not uncommon. You go from the sugars and alcohol to the sugars and coffee and, and sweets. And so that's it's very, very likely, but that was one thing I also didn't like with AA was walking in and saying, hi, I'm Patsy. I'm an alcoholic. I wanted to be like, hi, I'm Patsy. And I am sober for five days and I can't freaking believe it. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, 
let's, let's praise the goodness that I'm doing instead of making me feel bad because like, I have to show up here because if I don't show up here, then I'm not going to stay sober. Mm. Yes. So it's, it's all those again, rules. Yes. And, and my whole thing, just X and A all the rules and use your own power, use your own discernment and make choices for yourself, whether it's in sobriety, whether it's in paying attention to the ingredients that are in your food or your products, or if it's making the best medical decision you can make, whatever it is. Yeah. Stand in your own power, make your own informed decisions based upon what you need, what works for you, not what your mom says, not what your husband says, what you say. Yeah. And with that, know that you don't have to explain anything to anyone. Not a damn thing. Not a damn thing. Because I feel like with that, right, we think, you Mm -hmm. know, somebody's going to ask me, I'm going to say I'm sober or I'm going to give my answer. I'm alcohol free. I'm sober. I'm this. I'm that. I just don't want a drink tonight. Right. Like you just going out like that could be even just your challenge for, you know, if you, you always go out on the weekends for your girlfriend night or whatever, and you just don't have the drink with the girlfriend. It's just that one night, just to, just to experience girls night without the drink. Right. And so, you know, all your girlfriends are going to be like, what, why you don't have to give an explanation. I think that that's what people they think they have to explain themselves all the time and their choices. And it's empowering when we recognize that you can set a firm boundary for yourself and say, I don't want to explain every single choice I make, especially when it comes around right now to, you know, playing in a so- sobriety and, and sober living. I just don't want to explain it. And that's cool. You don't have to No is a complete sentence. It really is my favorite. My favorite thing in the world. No is a complete sentence. No, no, thank you. I don't want to drink. Yeah. Thank you for offering. No, I'm good. If someone, if someone asks and you feel like going into it, great, go into it. But if you don't just say it's my personal choice right now, Yeah, that's not something I'm choosing. Yeah. Like just because I said, no, what, what other reason do you need? Yeah. I also encourage people if they're listening to this right now is actually, if you've ever been on the other side of that, right. Where somebody has said no to you. And if your normal response is to ask them, well, why not? Like even ask yourself, like, why do I feel called to ask that? Like, Mm -hmm. I never even thought about that. Right. Like before, like why I would ask that if somebody else, like when I would go out partying or stuff like that and somebody didn't want to, and I'd be like, what, why that you have to, I would be like, no, Mm -hmm. come on. And so I started recognizing, I was like, what was driving that response out of me to get somebody else to drink if they didn't want to drink? <laughs> I was like, why? Yeah. Why, why did I do that? <laughs> and you know, without like going too far off topic, I feel like this shifts into a whole world of what the sober living has done for me is it's really allowed me the space to sit with everything that goes on between these two ears, everything mm. that goes on in this head of the the reason why I question certain things, the reason why I'm quick to judge certain things. 99.9% of the time, it's because we just don't understand it. That's why we judge it. That's why we look at it funny because we don't know anything about it. So when you haven't lived a sober lifestyle and you see someone not drinking to you, you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. Why are you at a bar if you're not drinking? Mm. You know, Mm -hmm. forgetting that there's still communion with your friends. There's still some bars have good food. You know, I'm not saying that every bar does, but you know, (laughs) 
I mean, most of the time I was eating food when I was drunk. So of course all the food tasted good. But <laughs> there are really better. bars out there that have legitimate good food. Um, but you know, there's like multiple reasons why I, I love to go watch a football game on Saturdays or Sundays in that environment. I love the environment of sports. It's so much fun. I love the innocent banter back and forth between two teams. Like all of that kind of stuff is still fun to me just as much as it was whenever I was a drinker mm-hmm. and I can still do it while I'm sober. Now, mind you, I had to wait an allotted time before I felt comfortable enough to walk into, inside a bar. But now that I'm at that place, like it doesn't phase me. I can sit at the bar and drink a water and tip the bartender extra because I feel bad for not drinking at the bar. But I also, because I was a bartender, I just know where it come from, but, but yeah. I've been enjoying mocktails. Oh, I love me a so good fun. mocktail. Yeah. Absolutely love a good mocktail. And actually I've been drinking, I, before we got on the call, I was show, showing her how I drink my coconut water out of a mm-hmm. wine glass because it just feels funner that way. <laughs> and that's, that's, I just like it. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. And this was, you know, I recently someone saw someone who got sober say that whenever they got sober, they removed everything associated with alcohol out of their house. Mm. And I did the same thing because for me, mm-hmm. anything that was an alcohol reminder was just a temptation to go to the bar. Mm-hmm. And that was my thing was I was, I would go to the bar and then I'd go by the liquor store and then come home. But I've also worked through enough of it that now I enjoy mocktails and my, um, I have a drink that I drink called Niksha that I enjoy my Niksha in a wine glass because it makes me feel fancy. I enjoy sparkling apple cider and grape juice. What is that? Like your non-alcoholic champagne <laughs> out of a wine yeah. glass. There's non-alcoholic companies that make non-alcoholic, um, rosé and champagne. Yep. And when I get one, I'm pouring it in a wine glass, you know, because now it doesn't trigger me as it did in the beginning, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, remember you can either get rid of it all, or you can keep some stuff there. If you're going to go back to it, like it's, it just goes back to the whole using your own discernment and figuring out what works best for you. Just because your your mentor or somebody else is doing something that inspires you, that doesn't mean that you're meant to do the exact same thing. Yes. See what about it inspires you and then figure out what you can do in your own life to cultivate that inspiration within yourself. So beautifully put. Yes. Be your own hype woman. Yes. Which Pansy is amazing yet. She's a hype woman. And you encourage everybody else to be their own best hype woman. I love it. Yeah. I don't know if it's the Leo or the projector, but my Leo rising (laughs) is probably a combination of those two. My Leo rising also likes the attention. So that's real fun with the uh, bitterness that projectors get when they don't receive the attention. Oh my gosh. Patsy, this was such a fun, fun conversation to have with you. And I know that there's going to be so many people that are going to be listening to this and it's going to inspire them. It's going to be so supportive and so helpful. So like, I want to thank you so, so, so much for coming on the show and just talking. And I love how this conversation just kind of like, it it just went just like all kind of over the place, but it all was in the same spectrum. spectrum. Yeah. And and, you know, to, to say all that for anybody who does hear this, if you find me on Instagram or Facebook and you feel 
you, you need support or you need me to answer a question, whatever, like my inbox is always open to anybody. I don't care. Like, I don't care about any monetary value that I gain from anything in life. When it comes to sober lifestyle, I am just here simply as just a fellow human who's going through this shit show of a world right beside you. We are just doing the best we can. So I'm here to support you in any way that I can. That's so sweet of you. Just, I love you so much. See why I love her, you guys. You see, see why, see why I, I was it. like, Pats, you got to come on the show. <laughs> so yes, such a good show for those of you guys that loved it as much as we did. Be sure to share this episode with your friends, maybe with your gal pals. Maybe you want to start your own, like, you know, sober month. Like I see that a lot, right? Like people mm-hmm. try to do like a 30 day sober, see how they do. Ooh, what do you got, Patsy? I did just recently see this and I'm totally, totally adopting it. But somebody for the month of November is doing a no Vember. So they're doing a whole month of saying no to whatever it is they decide, whether it's alcohol, whether it's just saying no to things that don't serve you, whatever it is, use the month of November to be your no month. And maybe you can see the things that you really actually should be saying yes to. Oh my gosh. Whoever thought of that, like I saw it on Twitter. I don't know. It's on Twitter somewhere. Whoever thought of this kudos to you. I would love to be able to give this person a direct, like shout out whoever thought of this, but yeah, we'll just, again, that I'm sure that probably has like a hashtag or something you guys, but I think that's a great, Probably. probably. Yeah. I think that's a great challenge heading into, um, November is, how can we look at like November, just saying no to things? Cause I think that was a lot of what we talked about in this episode. Like it was coming down basically to like what feels right for you and saying no to the things that don't. So I think that's beautiful. I think obviously like people could look at maybe just like not drinking during the holidays, or I know it's a big one for like the month of January, they do a sober month for January, but whatever feels cool for you, right. Get to play Mm -hmm. around with it. You get to have fun, but we would love to hear about it. We would love for you to share what came through for you. Um, and maybe what you're going to be kind of like setting an intention with that could be fun. Go ahead and tag me and Patsy in the show, um, in your intentions of what you're setting around sober living, or just the things that you're going to be saying no to, or, um, you know, just, we would love to hear about it all. And yes, thank you again for being on the show, Patsy. I love you so much. You're my favorite little projector ever. (laughs) And I will see all of you guys on the next episode.